Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project, by me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet the strange saint whose symbols are a soldier's armor, a bishop's mitre, and a brewer's mash rake. Name, Arnulf or Arnold, life, 1040 to 1087 AD, status, saint, feast, August 14th. The angel came to Mindsinda in a dream to tell her that she was going to have a boy. Her boy would carry Christ with him wherever he went, and for that reason, the angel told her, she ought to name her son after the saint who was said to have carried Christ on his shoulders, Saint Christopher. I like to imagine that as the angel said this, a slight smirk played over his serene features. In case Mindsinda had her doubts about the truth of the dream, the angel told her to go and dig a hole in the spot where she usually went to pray in the village church in Tegum, in the west of Belgium. Mindsinda went to the church and commandeered the gravedigger, who helped her dig under the usual praying spot. There she found an old tile, and when she turned it over she read the name the angel had given her, Christophorus. The life of Mindsinda's son, however, would rarely go according to plan. Mindsinda and her husband Fulbert brought the boy to be baptized. One of their relatives, who was rich, self-involved, and, I have to assume, fairly drunk, asked to hold the baby. When he got hold of him, he trotted off and told the priest that the couple was naming their son after him and to go ahead with the baptism. By the time the shocked parents got there, the boy's name was Arnulf, and that was all there was to it. The little boy who should have been called Christopher grew up and went to war. He found he was good at it. He was physically powerful, on one occasion personally heaving a farmer's cart out of the way of his men. He fought for the king and in the wars of the Holy Roman Emperor, and his military talent brought Arnulf power and status. Eventually, Arnulf became a knight, acquiring squires of his own and joining the up-and-coming warriors of the land along with his friend, Garricus. That was why everyone was surprised when Arnulf's life took another sharp turn. The only person he told was his mother, Mindsinda, Arnulf's father had died by this time. Everyone else was shocked when Arnulf gave everything up and entered the abbey of Saint-Médard in Soissons, France. Why did Arnulf give up soldiering? Years later, he would say that it was something he had to do in imitation of Christ. Arnulf surely knew that Christ can be imitated in many different lives, so I think this comment tells us something about Arnulf himself. I think Arnulf enjoyed violence more than he thought he should, and he was cutting himself off from it completely 
before he became a nightly robber. Arnulf would quite self-consciously never raise a sword again. This didn't prevent cheeky medieval artists from making a soldier's armor one of the symbols of St. Arnulf. Perhaps Arnulf was worried that he would take the path of his one-time companion, Garricus. In the chaos of war, Garricus robbed to get rich. His work had brought him a beautiful wife and children, and his conscience didn't seem to be too troubled about it. After becoming a monk, Arnulf occasionally sent Garricus messages, but he never heard back. As a junior monk, Arnulf was entering a whole new world in the Abbey of Saint-Médard. It had been in operation for 500 years by the time Arnulf arrived, and it was now a massive institution. Monasteries easily accumulated wealth. One man's labor could support a family, and monks worked hard, raising bees, brewing beer, farming, and so on. Since monks had no families to support, their labor was almost guaranteed to create a surplus. That, along with gifts from Catholics, allowed monasteries to become wealthy and powerful. In this way, the Abbey of Saint-Médard had acquired lands, its own security forces, and at one point, even minted coins. Within this massive institution, Arnulf was starting life over again. An older monk became a mentor, showing Arnulf the ascetic's path. Arnulf learned to write, not part of the knightly skill set. He went three years without speaking. And it was toward the end of this three years of self-imposed silence that his life would take another sharp turn. When Arnulf had entered the Abbey of Saint-Médard, the abbot had been a decent man. But when the old abbot had died, he was replaced with a rapacious abbot who made himself rich. There was a public outcry, and the man was deposed. Searching about for someone honest to lead the monastery, Arnulf's name came up. Arnulf was still under a self-imposed period of silence, so I imagine his eyes growing wide at the horrible prospect of being put in charge of the entire abbey. He wrote a note explaining that he was absolutely not the right man for the job. And when it seemed as though everyone wanted him to do it anyway, he wrote down a request. Give him a night to think about it. It seems that Arnulf's time as a soldier had taught him that sometimes the best way to get out of being volunteered for a job was simply not to be there. That night, when he was supposed to be thinking it over, he waited for the other monks to fall asleep and snuck out of the monastery. When he got to a nearby town, he heard rumors that the abbey had sent out searchers to find him and bring him back. Uncertain of what God wanted him to do, but certain that he wanted to escape, Arnulf prayed, and when he stood up, he saw something very strange. A huge wolf stepped out of the forest. Arnulf must have tensed up, but then he realized the wolf wasn't behaving in a hostile way. Instead, it seemed to be his guide, padding along next to him as he walked. Night fell, and Arnulf was grateful for the wolf's guidance as it brought him along the unfamiliar way to where God wanted him to be. Finally, the wolf stopped, and Arnulf found a place to curl up and sleep until morning. He had no idea where he was, only that it seemed he was meant to be there. 
Arnulf woke up in the morning light and realized, with horror, where the wolf had led him. He was back at the abbey. No! Determined not to be abbot, Arnulf made a dash for it, but this close to the monastery he was easily spotted. His future subordinates caught him, tied him up, and brought him in to be made the abbot. Arnulf would not be the first man of God forced into service. Only a few decades later, the great philosopher St. Anselm would be carried shouting into his installation as Archbishop of Canterbury. I can't help but think of Plato, who said that wanting to be in charge is almost always a sign that someone should not be in charge. The best rulers are often reluctant. And that was true of Arnulf, who proved to be a good abbot during his time. He set out to reform the abbey, although this would prove to be a centuries-long project. When Arnulf was abbot, the abbey had some of its lands stolen by a lord named Geoffrey. He was so prone to violence that his fellow nobles were afraid to speak to him. But Arnulf wasn't intimidated. He rode over, humbly, choosing a donkey over a horse, and told Geoffrey that what he was doing was wrong. When Arnulf arrived, it was Geoffrey who found himself humbled. Arnulf wasn't what Geoffrey had expected, and Geoffrey found his conscience reproaching him. He didn't just give back the land, but also became a better Christian. Geoffrey would remain a fierce defender of the Abbey of Saint-Médard for the rest of his life. Being in charge made Arnulf political enemies. Eventually, they figured out a way to get to him. The Abbey of Saint-Médard was so big that the abbot was a feudal lord with knights answering to him. By ancient tradition, the abbot would sometimes lead those knights into war. Someone realized that Arnulf, who was determined to leave war behind him, would not do this. So they manipulated the king of France to call on abbot Arnulf in just this way. Arnulf stepped aside and became an ordinary monk again. Arnulf may once again have been an ordinary monk, but everyone now knew he had been pushed out by politics. The unfairness made him even better known. More and more locals started coming to the humble monk for guidance. He advised nobles. He healed a baby born blind. He helped a girl to marry for love. And then, one day, he had a visit from his old brother-in-arms, Garricus. Garricus had been rich and powerful, but then he had gotten sick with a wasting disease, which left his wife the only person in the family who could be active. And now that he was no longer fearful and strong, Garricus found that the friends and relatives who had once obeyed him turned their backs on him. His wife had to scrape by like a widow, even though Garricus was still alive. Arnulf listened to the story. Garricus thought that God was punishing him, and he suspected he deserved it. Arnulf surprised him by explaining that this wasn't a punishment. It was a mercy. Garricus was being offered a chance to turn his life around. And then Arnulf gave Garricus and his wife a blessing. Garricus would recover. His family would thrive. In their old age, he and his wife would have a son, a pious young man, who would carry on his father's name and take care of his mother 
in her old age. Arnulf grew so well known that he was made a bishop, but in the chaotic politics of the time, he did not get the bishopric he had originally been intended to receive. The Pope found a different role for him. Everyone was afraid to rein in the violent paranoia of Count Robert I of Flanders. When Robert discovered that there really was a plot to kill him, he started executing conspirators and others left and right. Bishop Arnulf's job was to rebuke Robert to his face, which he calmly did. Arnulf traveled between modern France and Belgium, healing, helping, advising. In a church which was shot through with corruption, Bishop Arnulf told the truth and called out evil when he saw it. Many people met Arnulf on the road. This woman was healed. That widow told how he had saved her sons. But Arnulf's desire was to return to the life of a monk. In time, he found a way to do this as abbot in a different monastery, this one in Udenburg, modern Belgium. One of the ways his monks worked there was by brewing beer. When there were disease outbreaks, Arnulf understood the value of drinking alcohol over contaminated water and made his beer available to the locals. That's how he got his third symbol, the mash rake, an old brewer's instrument. And it is also what made him a patron saint for beer brewers, and a good saint for a warm day in August. But what makes him a manly saint? Arnulf was a good man in a corrupt church and state. Arnulf didn't fear violence, but didn't use it. Instead, he told the truth, always putting that first. Whether it was trying to reform the church, redeeming his old friend Gericus, or rebuking powerful lords, Arnulf spoke the truth and accepted the consequences, passing through his strange and varied life and leaving a trail of healings and miracles in his way. <laughs>